Hello and welcome to the VR Download. This is Ian Hamilton here hosting. Hello and welcome to the VR Download. Ian Hamilton here. I'm not sure if you guys saw that twice or whether our recording kicked in a minute later. But thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm joined here by... I'm David Heaney and I write about the technology behind VR and AR. We've had a, a busy news week here with a fair amount of stuff happening. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in the comments. Uh, Onakazi, uh, we've seen some comments already. Uh, Stephen, Chris Richardson, thank you for tuning in, as always. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit to see the latest comment. They have to move up on our stream a little bit. So if we don't respond to you immediately, it might be a few minutes before uh, either your stream catches up or we're actually able to respond to the comments. But let us know if you have any, have any questions. Heaney, uh, I want to talk... Well, all right, so it's not on our list, but we got to talk about Apple. What was the big AR-related thing you saw out of the Apple conference that just happened? I guess, you know, as you noted, the only major AR thing was that object capture. And, I, you know, I we haven't looked into the detail of it yet, but it looked like you can use your Apple device to scan three-dimensional objects into the real world. And I saw some talk on Twitter that that's actually not using the LiDAR. Again, you know, this, this conference is just over about 20 minutes ago, so we haven't really had time to check these. But I'm fairly sure from what the whole chatter I was seeing on Twitter, that's just using computer vision and the cameras themselves not the LiDAR, which is incredibly impressive, but at the same time makes you wonder if they can do that without LiDAR. Is there really a point in having LiDAR in some of these more expensive devices? Mm. Interesting question, yeah. And Apple's such a big proponent of sort of localized AI structures, so doing a lot of processing on your local device. And uh, I'm curious like whether that specific feature is uploading to the cloud or using some of the local rendering, how much of that stuff happens after a big upload to the server yeah it would be interesting to know i know yeah apple's approach to these things is to throw hardware at the problem but i think we're starting to sort of slowly see them shift into the same software first mentality that you would see at the likes of google and facebook he needs using a different microphone solution this week so let us know in the comments how our microphones sound it's a little jarring for me because he sounds like he's he's up inside my ears a little bit closer the commenter that I said a bit quiet. I'll try and see if I can fix that. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, hello, Adam. Yeah, he needs Mike is a bit quiet, so I'm seeing that comment we're, too. We're basically testing for the first time uh, PC mic support for this app. So we are wireless on Quest 2 right now, but we've just added a new feature where we can use our microphone from our PC while still wireless. So we're still tweaking the exact settings i'll see if i can bring up the gain on it right now so the other thing that i saw in the apple announcement well the one that kind of just blew me away was the universal control with the mouse going from ipad to laptop to desktop uh effortlessly and being able to bring bring a single file across all three systems was wildly cool to me like i couldn't i couldn't really process how uh seamless it looked like it was is, is he using one computer or is he using three it, it it's such a seamless apple like feature to see that debut it's of course whenever i see that i think of like this pitch that microsoft always had with its hololens of being able to pin windows wherever you are and uh we're so close to that with vr headsets getting sort of as soon as they get more robust environmental understanding we'll be able to do more of that pinning uh and that's actually one of our, our, our features that will come up uh, and talk about here. Should, should we talk about that now since it sort of folds in here? Uh, Steam VR now lets you pin Windows to a controller. 
So this was after quite a bit of testing, but you can actually pin windows to your controllers with a sort of tools there to adjust how it connects. This has been possible for a long time, but having it as a built-in feature uh, is quite a step forward. Heaney, did you take this for a, a test drive? Have you used it in its most recent iteration? Uh, yes, I did. Stand by here, though. I'm just going to see if I can fix the microphone issue. The commenters are talking about that. Uh, mm. Let's see. Mm. Let's try. Hmm. I'll stick this on auto and see if this works. For now, I'll just have to continue with it. Yeah, so let me just bring a screenshot here of exactly what we're talking about now that I'm back in VR here. So for a while, you've been able to cast your, or sorry, to attach image, windows that you have on your PC to controllers in SteamVR using third-party tools like OVR Toolkit and OVR Drop. And it's a really useful feature for example, for streamers. So you can have the chat on one of your controllers and some of those third-party tools that you do all sorts of interesting things to you know, pin it so it only works when your controller turns around with your hand like this. SteamVR has just now added this as a native feature and it's it's really, really easy to use. And I have to say, you know, every time I go into SteamVR these days to, to try more and more things and I really try to dig into the interface because mostly I'm using it for Sims, but when I'm recording on it, I'm, I'm trying out all the features. I'm just really impressed at how they keep continuing to refine and improve it over time. At this point, it really is leaps and bounds ahead of the Oculus Rift sort of system software. But that's kind of obvious because Facebook's really shifted their focus to standalone. But to, to use this is so, so simple. It's just like the old desktop feature. You click here and it brings up your monitors. You click a small little button here to select from Windows. And then you'll see it as a sort of Say you have two monitors, the window you selected will show up just as if it's a third monitor on your toolbar. There's then a button on this side to detach it onto one of your controllers, and that's it. I gotta say the the, the kind of the amount of improvement Steam VR has gone through since the launch of the HTC Vive in 2016 is, is really incredible, both on the features mm. and the refinement. Do you happen to know if this feature is on the open XR side of things? So this is this in the Steam VR dashboard, which supports a the open xr as a target sorry let's try and think of how to phrase this best steam vr will support open xr in the sense that it is a runtime and open xr is the api that apps are written with so yes but not in any special way but just in the sense that steam vr does already support open xr mm. All right, so uh, I guess while we're here, let's talk about the new, the other Steam news. Uh, Heaney, you really dug into these numbers, and you follow these numbers month in and month out. In May, there's 2.31% of Steam gamers using a virtual reality headset. You call that a new high. What was the previous high for sort of VR headsets on Steam? And if we have to throw a, a dart at the dartboard and guess as to how many millions of headsets... Do you even want to make a guess? I'm just going to have to quickly join back in here. My, my tablet's frozen. I can't bring up the numbers. But the number beforehand was 2.3%. So we're only up by the tiniest amount. But let's see how that compares to the likes of Linux and a 4K monitor and Mac OS. If you can bring it up there, Ian, I'll be back in five seconds. Yeah. Let me see if I can pull it back here. I'm going back to see if we can find it. Yeah. Here we go. Let's look right. 
Oculus Quest 2, 29%. Is that correct, Haney? Is this the right one? Uh, no, the one beforehand that shows it. Uh, I'll bring it up right now. My, my monitor's working again. Apologies for the technical issues, folks. We're, we're trying to introduce a new feature here. Um, yeah, the percentages were at uh, Facebook overall holding roughly 60% of the market. Yeah, so that's the relative market in terms of of these people that use a VR headset, what percentage of them use other headsets. But what, what interests me more, to be frank, is this kind of comparison of how popular is VR and Steam on, in general. And this is what we've been really kind of tracking and comparing to other things. So you can see here, 2.31% of Steam users used a virtual reality headset in the month of May. And that is the highest it's ever been. As I said before, the previous peak was 2.30%. So it's not like we're seeing any significant uh, increase in the short term here. But we have seen a kind of steady and consistent growth over time from PC VR's launch back in 2016. And you can, as you can see here, this is the really interesting one for me. VR is a few months of solid growth away from going beyond a 4K primary monitor. And you know, in the PC gaming sphere, people talk about a 4K monitor like it's a normal thing. But if you look on Steam's hardware survey percentages, only 2.44% are there. And that kind of shows you Steam is a place where every kind of PC gamer is on. You have everything from people who are just playing 2D games on laptops with integrated graphics, all the way to people with a RTX 3090 GPU, which as you can see here, is significantly smaller than virtual reality. So it's, it's kind of, if you look at that 2.31% figure with no context, you might immediately think that's remarkably low. But if you actually look at it in the context of high-end PC gaming on Steam, it's actually a lot higher than I think some people appreciate. All right, let's uh, let's talk about these next two things. Since uh, Steam, you know, I, I why wouldn't you? I was arguing with Heaney here that I want him to make the chart we have, the monthly chart, yellow. Why won't you make it yellow? Make it I look will like a Pac-Man. We'll make a video and we'll make Pac-Man go all the way around. But I have to keep it consistent okay. with the past articles so people can easily compare. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, this is a big one where it shows that Facebook is at just about 60% when you combine all their headsets. That's Quest 1, Quest 2, Rift S, Rift. And uh, you combine all those and uh, it's it's quite a large percentage of use on Steam is Facebook's VR headsets. And we've just been watching this blue circle get bigger and bigger. Uh, but Heenan's got all the data going back months and months. And there is a shift in sort of the way it's recorded. Uh, what year was it that the, the, the data is no longer compatible forward and backwards? Anyway, um, in, so in March 2020 <laughs> is when that change was made. So to be clear on how this hardware survey works, and we'll just bring up again the data that shows all the different headsets. To be clear, before March 2020, this worked by just scanning on USB to see what devices were connected at the time you took the survey. And to be clear again, this is a survey that's offered randomly to Steam's users. It will pop up in Steam one day and say, would you like to submit your hardware details anonymously to Valve? If you accept, it'll be uploaded and compiled into this data. Now, after March 2020, they changed the methodology so that instead of just scanning to see what headset is currently connected, they actually check your Steam VR logs for the past month. So any headset that you've used in May 
if you are one of the people who is randomly sampled by this survey, will show up in this data now. And so ever since Valve made that change, we've seen a much more consistent sort of representation of the data. And they did make sure to clarify to us at the time they noted this, that that means that virtual desktop, for example, now would be included in Quest and Quest 2 here. Mm. Yeah, uh, big data for Steam. And uh, I, I guess I'm curious to see where we go next steps in PCVR. Uh, we've been, uh, there's obviously lots of rumors out there with new platforms sort of racing to get in by the end of the year. Uh, I'm, you know, we had the new consoles launch last year, and then there's this chip shortage this year. And it makes it hard to kind of like uh, expect whether, even if they launch new products this at the end of this year, how how the supply is going to be, and whether it's just going to be sort of a repeat of what happened last year, where it became really hard really quickly to get your hands on some of this new hardware. So I'm curious to see what happens at the end of this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Deca Gears launch goes with their headset if they're able to get that out in quantity given the current chip shortage. Because, you know, it really, it really is the elephant in the room when discussing any new hardware this year at all. There's the lead time for these manufacturers to get chips and other components, even like LCD displays, is just, it's on the order of dozens of weeks now. And it's, it's just not at all what it used to be. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about these two Oculus Quest related things. Both are sort of uh, from very different. Uh, places we got this information from very different places let's talk about the android apps one first so uh i sort of noticed this almost immediately when we saw the new universal menu pop up on the oculus quest software where these these little squares down in your menu that look sort of perfectly sized for phone apps to sort of slot right in there into those new into that new menu system uh, we know Carmack has been pushing for Android app support for uh, a long time. He thinks it's important to have all those apps supported, uh, I think, within the Oculus ecosystem in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Heaney, how do we know that this exists, and what actually is the status on it? Are we going to get this feature? So as as Jamie noted in his article, which you can read on Upload VR, we saw a while ago some users report that they'd seen these apps, these normal non-VR Android apps start to show up in the Oculus Store. And to be clear, if you sideload a Android app that doesn't use Google Play services onto your Quest right now, it actually will run. There are a range of regular Android apps that you could run on your tablet or phone. You can sideload and will work. But what we're starting to see hints of here and what we saw a Facebook employee accidentally tweet about having access to recently and what sparked this kind of new article is the idea that Facebook would offer some of these apps through a store directly, officially, and automatically updated. And perhaps, you know, we've seen from Basti564, who looks through the Quest firmware to try and find new features, perhaps they'll even be supported in the same way that the Oculus browser allows you to have three windows open. One of those windows could be in future an Android app. So this is all part of Facebook's effort to try and make the quest to a productivity device there you know their openly stated goal is that in a few years they want to be able to sell a headset without controllers that can replace a chromebook so instead of having one 14 inch screen attached to your keyboard you just bring along a keyboard 
and the VR headset provides three or even potentially more in future screens of whatever size you want in your own personal work environment. Yeah, so it'll be I interesting can't to wait see for that future. Uh, that's so. Uh, over the weekend, I set up the Guardian in my house, and it's the first time I've tried to do this in months. And I was able to uh, surprisingly make a Guardian that extended across three or four rooms of my house. So into two different bedrooms, from one bedroom to the other, because in one bedroom I have my desk set up and uh, the living room is where I have my couch. And I was actually able to go from a living room sort of square area that was rather small where I would most normally do my quest gameplay and trace a little pathway to my desk in my bedroom. I was able to set my desk where it is in the bedroom I was able to set my couch where it is in the living room. And then I was even able to extend out this guardian into a, a, a second bedroom where uh, I actually had the largest amount of space of all of them. And I could recenter to any of the rooms I wanted uh, sort of to, to view that universal menu. The only missing feature uh, for this sort of being able to add my desk, my couch, and multiple rooms into the, the experience was uh, maybe a little bit of wall de- earlier wall detection would have been nice. But uh, being able to pin these windows, these types of apps in different rooms or different spaces, being able to have my monitors waiting for me as I sat down on my desk would have been a huge uh, major addition uh, to this sort of experience. And I, I can't wait until sort of I could pin Google or... Uh, Google Docs at my desk and then come and sit down and have a Google Docs window or even our own website if we're posting a new article, being able to have that be a window sitting at my desk would be an incredible feature that Facebook is kind of this close to having and we've had out of Microsoft HoloLens for a long time. Yeah, I've noticed that the Guardian's definitely starting to evolve over time. It definitely notices and recognizes the room that was set up before much better than it used to. I remember when the Quest 1 launched, you would pretty much have to redraw the Guardian if you even moved anything in your room. And now it's getting to the point where, as you say, you could trust it for these kind of persistent actions of pinning things. I notice my desk and, and couch are always in the right position now, even if the Guardian doesn't start to recognize, which is interesting. And I notice that you can kind of use the desk as a small stepping stone to 3D Guardian because that's one of the things that people have really, really been hoping for. Where right now, even if you have a little table in front of you, you have to mark it as if it's infinitely high in front of you. So even if you could lean over the front of it, you can't. What you can do now is you can mark your table inside the Guardian area and mark it as a desk. And then as you get near to that table, you'll see the outline of the desk, but not the Guardian itself, which I think. I don't think a lot of people have, have realized that yet, but if you're in a small space, try that out because you can really start to use your small space better and not see those guardian lines all the time. To be clear here, have you tried multiple desks? Is it possible to add multiple desks or is it just one right now? It is just one right now. You can add a desk and a couch. And if you use Basti 564's hack, you can add a little pass-through rectangle for your keyboard. Mm. And yeah, I was able to actually do the the track keyboard, and it's it, it's funny. We've had this problem every every uh, 
sort of week of whether it's the K830 or the K380. And I realized those are both pretty popular models of Logitech keyboard with the the one with the digits in the other direction uh, being really useful because you can hit one, two, three and switch your Bluetooth connection between three different devices. That's incredibly useful if you're going from like a, a VR headset to a PC or to a tablet. And being able to sort of hit those three numbers and go back and forth between the different systems is going to be a really nice feature. But you've got to have more than just the one keyboard supported. So, Hini, are, are we going to get that? Do you think that's actually going to be a, a feature we're going to have pretty soon for any keyboard? So, yeah, what we what we reported on this week is that while that specific model, the K830 US version, will be tracked and show up inside VR as a 3D virtual model, there is a feature that is currently lying dormant in the Quest that essentially does let you use any keyboard. And I'll bring up a picture right now to show you how that works. So here we go. So how it works is this is a Guardian desk that I've defined. And here is a Guardian keyboard. They, the specific word they call it is pass-through keyboard. And how it works is very similar to a desk. You just draw out this little rectangle with your controller. But the difference is, instead of having a 3D model of something, it will show you pass-through of this area. So as you walk around your room, you'll still see the real world only in this rectangle where you've defined for your keyboard. And I have to say, it's just about usable. If you're, if you're someone who's used to using a keyboard and you never, ever need to look at the keys, it's useful. But if you would need to look for where a specific key is, the resolution of the Quest's black and white cameras just isn't high enough to be, make it really practical yet. But you can certainly see how on the next headset or the headset after that, whenever they end up adding high-resolution color pass-through cameras, this could be an incredibly useful feature where they don't have to kind of manually add support for a keyboard or even other devices you might want to use. I want to know one day, can I, you know, if we ever get a flight simulator game on Quest, could I attach a hotest to the Quest somehow and define a rectangle so I can just see the, the hotas in real life and the rest is the game? There's There's some really interesting use cases that come from this ability to kind of merge the virtual world and the real. Mm. Yeah, I'm really curious to see kind of how Facebook prioritizes oh, those new features uh, going forward. The, let me just check. Can everyone still hear us? I'm seeing some people report in the chat that there is Streamline. Let me have a check. Yeah, no, it looks like it was just an internet connection fluctuation. We got we to get it onto your internet connection soon, Ian. Yeah, I'm, I'm nervous about uh, controlling the stream on my side. I, I, there's three start buttons and I haven't decided which one I feel comfortable with hitting yet. <laughs> I, uh, I will be trying to do some broadcast streams on my own. Uh, obviously it, it's kind of, there's a lot going on here when we do our streams and we're still trying to get comfortable with how to do them, uh, on a more regular basis. And, uh, as we've noticed, there's always new features in the studio too, that kind of makes it a, a complex, uh, shell game. Cause when we, uh, when we get, people into the studio it needs to be a really effortless process and like even right now one of the things that we've got that uh, getting people to have avatars into our studio is as simple a process as we can possibly manage it on a quest system right now but even there they've added a little toggle at the top of the avatar creation system that says uh, version one or version two of the facebook avatars sdk and if you go and set up a 2.0 avatar and don't have a 1.0 avatar set up uh, I don't know if you'll actually be able 
what you'll come up in the studio as right now, since we haven't been able to get the SDK for 2.0. Little things like that make it uh, sort of add a little bit of frustration or make it hard for certain people to join. And so uh, even that, and then there's the internet connection where either end of our internet connection could go out and you just disappear from reality. Those types of things, uh, I wonder when they're all going to get ironed out and we're just able to not have those issues time and time again, or is that just going to be with us in this day and age for, for decades to come, Heaney? I mean, I don't think we have that many issues anymore, to be honest. My internet connection should be upgraded to Starlink in three months. Yours is, since you've moved, your internet connection has been pretty much rock solid. Uh, Kyle's is still on the He's on the Taco Bell stand. Yeah, Kyle isn't here today because Comcast has broken his internet. So I don't think Kyle's will ever get resolved. Kyle is cursed to have bad internet forever. But uh, other than that, I think we're, I think we'll be good. Nice. Okay. And Adam's commenting here that uh, if Ian could test the stream with a specific game, which one would he choose? That's pretty good. Yeah. I know which one I choose, and so does Adam. Uh, cool Whip VR. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've gone through most of the news. Does anyone have any specific questions? And Heaney, have you been playing anything in VR lately? I have been playing the team deathmatch of Population One. It's only out for a limited time. Um, it's actually a lot of fun. I gotta say, you know, it's normally a battle royale game where you're squads of three, six or eight squads of three, and now they've just made a simple six v six deathmatch with all the same mechanics. So nothing too VR specific, or not exactly the the pinnacle of VR native design, but it's it's a lot of fun. That's all I've been playing this weekend, to be honest, because it is only there for yeah. two weeks. I was I, I spent an extraordinary amount of time with my Quest Guardian, like I was just describing. It was mind blowing. You know, there's also the feature where you can lean out of your stationary sort of setting to see the the AR view. Do you use that feature? Yeah, I've I've enabled that since it's on it. And just to be clear for people, what we're talking about here, if you make a stationary guardian instead of a room scale one, it used to be that you would just see the guardian lines in blue or yellow or whatever you've set it to be but now they have a setting where instead of seeing those lines at all as you move to the edge of your stationary circle around you it just kind of blurs between opacity of virtual and real and it's actually quite interesting because as you're on the edge a lot of people have noticed this as you're just on the edge you can actually see a kind of blurred version of both of them and if you're in a completely black virtual environment with just a logo in front of you it's almost just AR. You just kind of see the logo floating in front, which is quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was playing with that as well as the multi-room guardian, and just imagining the possibilities if we can sort of pass that data along to developers, and you can, as soon as we can, sort of uh, designate other surfaces rather than just one desk. Uh, my desk, in particular, it's like an L-shaped desk, so I can't mark that entire desk with the current marking system but we're just it seems like we're so darn close to being able to integrate that stuff into game apps at some point do you think we're going to get that uh anytime soon on the oculus platform i really hope so i think if sdk the, even if developers had access to what we already have like desks and couches you could see some really interesting experiences for example you could have a shooter with vehicles where you're standing up in room scale while you're outside the vehicle and to get in, you just go and stand and sit down in your couch and you're switched into the vehicle. You could have 
some sort of ability to interact with a virtual monitor in a game where you sit down at your desk and start to do that. There's there's a lot of applications and you know developers will come up with things that we haven't even dreamed of if Facebook does give them that access. But we do know that Facebook does plan to release an AR SDK for Quest. And all that means is that developers can build apps where instead of being in a virtual environment, the background is your pass-through. And the pass-through is still pretty low resolution, so it's it's not super practical. But I'm excited to see what developers start to do with that when it comes this year as well. Yeah, and I'm seeing commenters asking, uh, is it likely by the summer we're going to see peripherals for things like uh, Wheels or HOTUS support for the Quest? Do you think we're going to see sort of accessories brought into the Quest experience? So I don't think the limit on sims right now is really the hardware i think we still sorry as in isn't the control hardware it isn't the controllers we do see things like ultra wings come in but in terms of actually bringing a full-scale sim or a full-scale driving game we're either going to need facebook to allow devs to release games for only quest 2 and maybe even that's not possible and we'll need to wait for quest 3 or 4 because you know, even if you have a high-end PC, trying to run these kind of sims because of the huge amount of detail and the sheer scale of the world is a struggle. So I'm not saying it's impossible that we'll see those sort of sims, but once the hardware does get powerful enough to run them, I'd say we'll see the peripherals arrive at that point naturally on their own. Yeah. Uh, so Heaney, we've got a very big week for news coming up here. We've got, uh, we should be back with our Thursday show as well. Uh, but make sure you come back this weekend. We're going to have a huge, uh, amount of news, uh, coming up for everyone. I will plan to be in here in the studio trying to do a couple live broadcasts. Uh, I believe I should have someone from Supernatural in here later this week to talk about VR fitness and Archeo, uh, the architecture app that's out on Quest and all other platforms that uh, with, with co-presence, being able to build together with other people. Should have the uh, people behind that app in this studio for a live interview. And so bring any questions you have to those discussions. And uh, we're going to have a lot of big announcements with uh, new VR games and updates coming uh, later this week. Anything else, Heaney? Well, I guess we should cover the operating system uh, comments. You know, the- Ah, yes. So Facebook this week, uh, we had, can you bring up the image? Is it, is it there in front of you? Let me see. The cursed image that I had in here as Ian came in to try and scare him. Yeah. Here we go. I uh, forgot about this. Sorry, it wasn't on my so, list. Yeah. Th- this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate this one because he's, he's, whatever his phone camera was, whatever he was doing that on was out of focus when he did this talk with uh, Bosworth. And he's just slightly blurry here. And uh, yeah, this is from this AMA that the two of them did on Instagram. And I can't stand the slight slight out of focus on this one. Yeah, the uh, it wasn't exactly the most aesthetic stream ever, but we did get some very useful information. And to be clear, an AMA is an Ask Me Anything session. And this man right here, Andrew Bosworth, is the vice president of AR and VR at Facebook. He hosts a lot of these on his own, I would say, once every month, once every three weeks, maybe, something like that. And he just lets you ask a question on his Instagram story, and he'll reply to maybe five or ten of them. And it kind of gives us an idea of the direction that Facebook wants to take VR in. It gives us an idea how the guy behind Facebook's VR projects thinks about these things. And so specifically, one of the most interesting 
Well, this week he actually had Mark Zuckerberg on. That's not a usual thing. He had him on as a one-off. But we heard some really interesting comments about Facebook's operating system project. So we've heard kind of rumors of Facebook's operating system project. We've seen job listings for it. We know that it is being led by someone who was pivotal in building Windows NT in the 90s. But we hadn't actually heard the executives talk publicly about it before. So this is the first time we hear them talk about it. And and just to be clear, from everything we know so far, this is being developed for augmented reality as a brand new operating system. We don't we haven't heard anything about it coming to virtual reality. And if you look at Facebook's current Android-based VROS, they seem to be evolving it. You know what we were talking about earlier, bringing in Android apps, all of that would probably have to be thrown away unless they could come up with an emulation layer in this new OS. So we can't say anything definitive, but it looks like this is going to be for augmented reality. But what's interesting is they were asked kind of, why bother? Why not use Android again? Why not use Linux? And what they essentially said was, the challenge of building these AR glasses is such that every piece of software, all the way from the lowest level to the highest level, has to be extremely tightly optimized. If you want to walk around with a pair of glasses that has a tiny little battery and can last all day, current modern software engineering practices of prioritizing a lot of other practical things over performance simply will not work. And, you know, Ian was pretty amused by one of their comments where they said, you know, we don't want to dissipate much heat off your face and the ideal amount is is pretty much (laughs) close to zero because we don't want to burn you. Do, Do you have that exact quote? Oh, uh, let me find it. Uh, it was, I've watched, so I've watched the transcription, uh, twice now, the, the, the original video, uh, we've gone through and done a full transcription of the entire, uh, most of the talk. I think we missed one section that didn't transcribe. Uh, and yeah, I paid so such close attention to this where he says, uh, I think we strongly oppose burning your face is more or less the gist of the quote. Yeah, I find it now. The the amount of heat we can dissipate off your face, not very much without burning you, which we strongly oppose. So that's that's good to hear. But it shows the kind of challenge <laughs> that they're working with here. And Zuckerberg laughs uh, immediately in response to Bosworth's little joke there. And uh, yeah, there was all sorts of qu- comments and throughout this entire AMA where like Bosworth joked that uh, at outing Mark Zuckerberg as a civilization gamer. And it's like, oh, my job's in jeopardy now. I think he said something to that effect. Uh, for for outing that personal information on Zuckerberg on a live uh, Instagram AMA, what well, it, it was an interesting exchange being able to actually get access to this level of um, internal thinking amongst these sort of two executives at Facebook. Where uh, at one point in the talk, uh, Zuckerberg very clearly says something to the effect of, uh, "I don't know how much of." what we talk about is public or not, like what stage we are at making some of these things public. And uh, one of the things Zuckerberg talks about at one of these, at one part of this talk is he says, um, he, he redefines mind reading, he, you know, like what we're supposed to be doing with these devices is not about reading your mind. It's about giving the ability, uh, giving you the ability to, uh, train. He, he rewords the whole thing, uh, and I can't remember the exact quote. We should bring it up. Uh, bring up that one as well. But um, he's 
he's more or less describes controlling extra virtual arms while doing something else with your physical arms, I think is, is the in, inference there. Can you describe what he's getting at there, Heaney? Cause it, people in the comments when he originally said this kind of had their mind blown. And, uh, this, this was the far end of the projects Facebook is working on. Whereas near term, they're kind of working on that virtual co-working office. And I think that's the gist of what Bosworth was, was giving as a takeaway from this section was the stuff Zuckerberg was excited about these neural interfaces where you've got virtual arms is years away, but very near term, they're going to have a, a virtual work office space of some kind. But uh, Heaney, I, I'm the, the, the virtual arms thing. Can you explain what he's getting at when he talks about control that way and how that works? So what he's referring to there was what we saw back in March when Facebook shared their research on wrist-mounted devices. And the idea here is that right now we have hand tracking on these VR headsets and it works using cameras to watch your hands. But if I put my hand over my hand, it's going to be occluded. With better cameras, with faster chips, with depth sensors, they can get better hand tracking. But there's always going to be a limit in the fact that the headset won't be able to see your hands at all angles. You know, there's practical geometry involved here that no amount of better cameras will solve. So Facebook showing off this new kind of hand tracking that we saw from some startup companies over the past decade, including one Facebook acquired called Control Labs from New York. And the idea is that instead of tracking your hands at all through any camera system, it actually intercepts the signals going from your brain to your hand, telling your hand what to do in the wrist here. And from that, they are able to, they claim, track your hand down to sub-millimeter precision and every finger on it. So the key thing that Zuckerberg is trying to emphasize, and I remember when they were hosting their press conference, they keep trying to sort of, I would uh, almost control the narrative on, is to not call this brain sensing, because they're arguing that to, to be brain sensing, it would have to actually be reading your brain at this part, but because it's only intercepting the signal at the arm, they're, you know, they're trying to very carefully not call this mind reading because you can imagine the Facebook Zuckerberg mind reading headlines already if they were ever to call it that feature. But I, I have to say, I've noticed a very different media presence from Zuckerberg recently. And on his Facebook page, he's presenting himself very differently as he used to. It is, it is interesting. You know, as you said, he was, Bosworth outed him as a civilization player, but he was posting about him and his daughter playing Civilization before. He's been posting about Beat Saber. He's been posting about Onward. It's it's it seems intentional. I think he's trying to bring himself personally into the Oculus VR story a bit more, like he was trying to do a few years ago. So it it's interesting. Mm. Well, I I I think. So listening through this transcript, uh, we've got the full uh, – I was just reading through the portal of my uh, device trying to remind myself of everything that was said. It's just a jammed pack discussion where uh, they're both trying not to reveal too much right now, but also trying to speak uh, about what their long-term vision is in, in a very high amount of detail, uh, comparatively speaking. Um and then also to go from that to where we were today with the Apple press conference. And nothing kind of underscores to me 
how Facebook is now playing in the big leagues than to see these two sort of discussions happen back to back where uh, Facebook comes out or Apple came out in today's event uh, and announced what was it called? Conversation Booster, something to that effect, is the the new feature for their AirPods Pro, where uh, it will actually enhance the sound levels of people who are speaking directly to you. And Facebook had a special event with uh, sort of a special briefing with journalists a couple months back where Michael Abrash and other engineers discussed kind of pursuing the same exact concept over at Facebook. And uh, Facebook is obviously dealing with its image uh, with regards to privacy in pursuing those types of features. But here's Apple, one of the biggest companies on the planet, and Facebook building towards VR headsets with portal devices and saying that they're also going to be thinking about audio and they're going to be thinking about wrist haptics uh, as well as basically a smartwatch. So you're seeing here, yeah, this, this was crazy. How far was this feature, this uh, particular keyboard typing thing, Heaney? Where was that at? Say again, what do you mean where was it at? When he was typing on, or this the, the person was typing on a, basically a flat, just normal table and able to type uh, at a at a high rate of speed on any surface. Is that something we're going to get within five years' time, do you think? From the from the way that they were talking about this wrist project at the time, I think it is closer than than the pessimists think, but further away than the optimists would think. So this doesn't look like it's a product that will be launching in the next three years, but I don't think it's a product that's going to be launching in ten years either. I think we're going to see Somewhere in that three, from the from the way they were talking at this press conference where they showed off this technology, the the impression I got, and this is just my impression from listening to them and following this technology over years, is that this is a some it's a three to seven year kind of thing where this could be the input device for all of their AR products. And the last report we got on Facebook's AR glasses from the information, and to be clear, this is you know their own reporting based on their sources, was that Facebook plans to launch somewhere between 2023 and 2024, their first pair of AR glasses. So the question is, what is going to be the input device for that? And everything Facebook is talking about suggests that this is how they want to do it. And you know, you were talking earlier about the idea of typing and moving your fingers and without even physically moving them. And that is another thing they showed off. Because interestingly, Apparently, according to them, you know, we haven't been, had a chance to try any of this with, you know, it's, there's been a pandemic. We weren't able to try any hardware devices in the past year. But they, they claim that even if you don't actually move your fingers and just think about it, as it will still come through. And that is really interesting because it opens up use cases where you could be sitting there on a bus or somewhere else publicly and Instead of having to talk to a voice assistant, which you know is weird, no one wants to do that on a bus or in public. Let, let's be honest, no one is going to do that. Or kind of bring your hands up in the air and do some sort of minority report interface, and the guy sitting in front of you will say, "What exactly are you doing right now?" You can just put your hands down to your hands down to your side, and micro movements as you think about moving your finger could be translated 
into the device. And that, that's really interesting because, because that is the challenge for AR input. How do you find an input that is high bandwidth but can simultaneously be used in public practically? And that's what this is aiming to solve. Mm. Going back to kind of what I was getting at with Apple is uh, it came up in this conversation between Bosworth and Zuckerberg where I want to say maybe the day before the same day as Bosworth and Zuckerberg hosting this conversation between the two of them, Apple announced the ability to uh, use Apple Watch hand movements with Apple Watch to control devices for accessibility purposes. Uh, pretty f- remarkable looking uh, machine learning stuff that they're doing there to translate hand movements into sensor data uh, and and get something usable out of that. But it, I guess what I'm getting at there is that was one feature. The conversation booster was another and there's several different sort of accessibility level features that Facebook is rolling out on its product, or sorry, that Apple's rolling out on its products that look like they could be in competition with what Facebook might be thinking about on maybe the one to three to five year time frame. Uh, I've, I've talked about this previously on our downloads here where uh, I've gone into an early networked Oculus Quest hand tracking experience with people who can uh, communicate using American Sign Language. And the hand tracking that we have on the Quest 2 and the latest versions of the Quest software, even, I don't know, nine months after we originally recorded that, is dramatically improved. And who knows how much further we can get when you actually have sensors that are tuned for hand tracking first and uh yeah this is the video that a lot of people in our comments are talking about where uh, i think the researcher quoted uh, either this participant or someone else as saying wow that's what it looks like to have a hand is i think what the quote was it's something similar like that but the the idea here is that this person born with two fingers is able to use a five finger hand well born with two fingers on this hand to be clear i think they do have five fingers on the other hand though i haven't checked but they're able to use a virtual hand with this hand as if they had all five fingers just through the ability to sense the electrical impulses that are being sent from the brain so that that's an incredibly interesting one and here we see the other one where at first they're tapping but here you now see they're doing the same again without moving at all so they're just thinking about the idea of pressing that space bar and it's now able to do it and you can see with their hands crossed they're demonstrating that there's no tricks here so it's it's remarkable to see on that apple one you know people have noticed the similarity there but it's a it's a very very different technology what they're doing is they're just checking the accelerometer in the watch the type that you would have in a vr controller and they're just trying to see from the forces and accel- the acceleration and the rotation of the watch, what kind of gestures are you doing? And we have to really distinguish between high bandwidth input and gestures here. You know, the Wii Remote, the Apple Watch to this is like what a Wii Remote is to a VR controller. You know, a gesture is something where you're performing a basic kind of action and hoping that the system recognizes it to perform almost like a button. Whereas tracking that we're seeing here is able to be used as a much more 
sort of general purpose expression. You know, you could you could not just press buttons with this, but you could move a mouse, you could move a three-dimensional object, and you could do all sorts of other applications that developers will come up with that we can't even think of right now. So yeah, it, it's interesting to see how there's this sort of convergence with Facebook and Apple on the wrist, but I, I do I still do think people are making a little too much out of the Apple Watch accessibility demo. That is, that is a very useful feature for accessibility. It's a game changer potentially for accessibility, but when it comes to using the Apple Watch, it doesn't really change anything. It's kind of just like adding a few extra buttons. Yeah, looking at uh, sort of Zuckerberg's comments, and uh, it talks about having sort of a, an array of input mechanisms for controlling this AR VR future. You'll have voice assistance as well as uh, physical controllers, and but then there's this this neural interfaces discussion that that he's thinking about long term. And let me read the actual quote here. Uh, he said, and I quote: "The holy grail of all this is a neural interface." where you basically just think something in your mind kind of tells the computer how you want it to go, and that works. Let me get this second quote here. Down the line, you have your virtual hands are typing and controlling what you're doing in VR and AR, and then you don't, actually, you don't need to actually have a physical controller or anything like that because that's awesome. That's Zuckerberg talking about the end goal of neural interfaces. Yeah, so it's interesting that while, you know, they present this wrist tracking stuff and they try to very carefully for PR reasons talk away from mind reading, we do actually know that Facebook is researching literal mind reading and this is one of their prototype devices. And they've partnered with a few universities in America (laughs) to do some long-term research on this. And again, that is something that sounds like it is not going to come anytime soon especially in a glasses form factor. They're still at the point where they can kind of get a few words or phrases out in a very controlled laboratory environment. But we're going to have to see very different kinds of sensing technologies to be able to really read high fidelity thoughts of the kind of, you know, uh, order a hotel for me or a flight or the kind of thing that you might say to a voice interface today that you would want to be able to do without talking out loud. There are promising the, future technologies for it, though. Yeah, so the, the rest of this quote uh, from Zuckerberg is that, uh, quote, I think the key insight that our team has had, a lot of people, when they think about neural interfaces, they think about, quote, or, yeah, a sub-quote here, how can we understand what you're thinking? And it's not, it's actually not about that. You don't want to read the person's mind. You're not trying to understand what they're thinking. What you're trying to do is give the person an ability to have their brain send signals to the rest of the body about how this works. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that uh, sort of explanation of... uh, describing how this technology works for a long time because uh i don't understand how that's yeah i don't i i'm just scratching my head at at sort of what the difference in terminology means for the end consumer and and the people who are actually going to be strapping this this technology to their their bodies i guess when he's saying that he is referring to their wrist work you know it based on the context of the conversation but it's one of those things where again they are researching, reading your mind. You know, they've, they've published a paper about it. We, we've, this is a picture of it. We, we know they are doing that. But 
they're very clear that that is something so far off that it's not in any of their product plans. You know, it's, it's something that is very, very early primary research. Although, you know, we've seen companies like Elon Musk's startup be able to get quite impressive results in brain reading through a, an implant. But I think I remember Zuckerberg saying that he's kind of very against the idea of implants. They want it to be non-invasive. And, and that's what this project was as well. The idea is they want no kind of electrodes in the brain. It has to be entirely non-invasive. And I know that yeah. actually uh, Mary Lou Jepsen, who used to work at Facebook as one of their executives researching AR, is now off, is now off developing a medical technology that, that kind of looks inside the body and the brain for, for imaging purposes. And, and, you know, she's trying to replace MRI scans and, and CT scans. So it'll be interesting to see how the medical side of this and the consumer tech kind of converge over, over the coming decade, I guess. Mm. And I th- that's why I think it's interesting you sort of note that the, a lot being made out of this Apple demo that uh, only shows one sort of set of sensors gathering uh to make that feature work on the apple watch whereas the other part of that apple presentation today was just a massive massive amount of time spent on showing medical usages for apple's devices and it's really interesting to see kind of um these companies not want to promise more than they're actually able to produce when it comes to medical advice or medical data transfer with your uh, doctors and only your doctors versus having sort of your information uh, taken out of your control. There's a lot of features here that it takes years to kind of roll out in a safe, effective way and and add to it. But uh, we're kind of at such the early stage of where Facebook is in its rollout of these hardware platforms that uh, one of the things Apple was showing off today was being able to take a mouse cursor from an iPad to a Mac to to a portable Mac to a desktop map and have it just go from all three computing systems effortlessly. Right now, all that Facebook has out on the market is the portal and the Quest. And even those devices, those two platforms don't talk to each other. But over the next six months to a year to two years, we may have a third or fourth device in Facebook's lineup, and there should be some of that crosstalk between the devices to enable some of these better features. Yeah, that that's really Apple's huge advantage over over not just Facebook, but any company they're ever competing with is this ability to integrate the ecosystem because they are in control of the hardware and software of all of their products. And you know, we've seen Google try to do this, and Samsung try to. When it comes to this ecosystem integration, Apple is leaps and bounds ahead. And if so, it just means that if you get one product in on Apple's ecosystem, there's so much of incentive to also buy in on another ecosystem, or sorry, to buy in another product to kind of expand that ability. And it's, it's an incredibly convenient thing. You know, you don't have to manage. I like the phrase handoff that they use for it, because that really is it. You don't have to mentally manage handing off between one device and another. There's not this kind of jarring experience of going from your Android phone to your Windows PC where everything's completely differently set up except for some apps that might sync. It really also it really feels like your computer is where you want it to be. Facebook's approach is going to be pretty challenging because they've been open that they don't want to start releasing a computer and a phone and a tablet. Their kind of goal and their ethos and their belief is that 
virtual reality headsets and augmented reality glasses and you know mixed reality capabilities on those VR headsets can replace all of these prior devices before. Although, as you say, we've now heard reports that they're going to release a smartwatch and you know we've seen all this research on the wrist. So when it comes to input, that's different. But when it comes to the actual device that's outputting the information to you, it's going to be interesting to see how that really works because Apple is, go- Apple is going to have a kind of incentive to make this a part of an ecosystem, whereas Facebook is going, they have a higher goal, but Apple has a sort of higher footing to start on. So it'll be really, really interesting to see how those mm. two approaches clash, VR native or VR as an extension to an ecosystem. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I'd be curious to see how that plays out for sure. I think the reason I wanted to sort of get into all these different elements is when we see Zuckerberg on his uh, own Facebook account or in the Instagram AMA, he's clearly very, very engaged by this technology and what it's capable of doing. Uh, Another portion of the conversation that I thought was so interesting, uh, you've alluded to it already, was Bosworth saying he doesn't want to actually build any of this technology. They're building this technology to meet with some vision they have of of the way people, of the way they think people will want to communicate uh, in the long term. And uh, Bosworth uh, ended up specifically referring to open source repositories. And one of the things we saw in the last, we brought it up on last week's show, was this Reality Mixer app that has an open source uh, repository. Zuckerberg apparently used it to do his mixed reality streaming. Uh, I have just, one of the things I activated over the weekend was the live overlay feature. So I was actually able to get the live overlay feature where it was like segmenting uh, person out of the background and then merging that with the first person view of the quest. Uh, just a, a really, really nice way of filming what was happening with, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really nice way of referring, uh, uh, filming what I was seeing and what was being done in VR. Um, just fantastic. But I guess I'm curious, are we going to see that kind of level of cross device usage uh out of apple if we get a if we get an apple headset are we going to be able to do this with an iphone straight up or is oculus sort of leading the way here and going to uh always be reliant on apple for delivering this functionality are they going to have their own phone uh eventually do do some of this technology or are they going to go straight to portal how's that going to work heaney well i think i think what's clear is that facebook doesn't have an interest in building a phone at this stage. It's it's far too late. We saw Microsoft try to do it with Windows Phone, and even being a few years too late. I think once Apple does enter the game, you know, and we, by the reports that we've we've seen, the reporting seems to indicate that it may be next year that Apple launches a kind of high end mixed reality headset. I would expect that their cross device integration will blow Facebook's out of the water from the start because. Again, that is just the advantage that Apple has that every other tech Trump company dreams of having, owning the hardware and software all the way down the stack on all these products. And now even on their computers, they own the, they own their own chips. So I, I don't think we're going to see Facebook ahead of Apple and things like that. As to whether, you know, in the long term, does Facebook want to keep living on things like a smartphone over time? I think their goal in the long term is, and you know, maybe they're wrong and maybe they're right, but they think that VR headsets and AR glasses and 
you know, ambient computing smart home devices like Portal can together replace all of our current kind of devices of smartphones, tablets, laptops, and at least the monitor and keyboard part of a PC, if not the actual computing part of a PC itself. So it's, it's, again, it's going to be so interesting to see how these two approaches work and who does end up being right. But I, I don't see Facebook trying to chase Apple in a like for like. It really does from everything they're saying. It sounds like they're going to try and leapfrog all of the current computing experience and go straight to a fully three-dimensional real-world space spatial interface. And, you know, that's that's what we think this operating system could be about. Yeah, I, I get that. I think I just, it seems like, so Portal came out and hit the market with this sort of core video calling experience that like this is a video calling device uh what feature would a facebook watch ship with as its core functionality what would the facebook watch do out of the box that could then one day be enhanced by uh adding it in with your quest it's a good question they could take the kind of Google, Samsung, Fitbit approach that we're, that we're seeing where it's it's just about notifications and health because that's really what the Apple Watch is about at the end of the day. What, what are the core usages there? It's health as in everything to do with fitness and fitness tracking and heart sensing and notifications. I think the idea is that they would probably introduce something like that and then over time add these AR features in. But we heard when they were showing off this re- wrist uh, research the idea that it could even be in the long-term future, it could do a lot of the computing instead of the glasses. So, you know, there is this huge problem in glasses of where do you put the computer? And we've seen some of their patents show it around the neck. We've seen magically you clip it to your belt. But the idea of a kind of thick or even maybe kind of long along your wrist watch that was able to do a lot of that computing and assist out the AR glasses would be would be definitely interesting to see. Although maybe mm. it is that it's just is a basic touchscreen at the start for the AR glasses themselves, because because again people talk about using voice interfaces and and hand tracking in the air, but you know as I pointed out earlier, no one's going to do that in public. No one's going to use any of those kind of things on a bus. Mm. Very very interesting discussion. Do we have any other comments we should talk about, Heaney? Let me see if the comments load up here. Yeah, BR Dynamite saying Apple's focus on privacy that it will make it work. Yeah, Apple's Apple's kind of approach to do privacy, to do all this machine learning on device instead of sending things to a server is their kind of advantage from the privacy perspective. But there is a disadvantage then that they have to put more and more powerful chips and bigger batteries in to kind of accommodate this. And you, you can notice it already if you use an Android phone and an iPhone, you'll notice that if you take a lot of photos, say you go on a, a vacation and you come home with a thousand photos and you plug your iPhone in, you'll notice that it charges a lot slower because it's then categorizing all your photos and trying to make them into memories and class which ones are you know waterfall and which ones are uh, sky. Whereas Google just uploads all of those photos to the cloud and does that in their data centers. So th- there, it really is, there's no clear better way but you're absolutely right to say, VR Dynamite, that Apple's approach to doing these things on device means that they can offer a kind of privacy that Facebook doesn't. Although that said, we heard Andrew Bosworth, Facebook's head of VR and AR, talk a lot in that interview with uh, Zuck about the idea 
of doing on-device ML themselves, machine learning. So it's unclear whether Facebook will actually cop chase after Apple on that. But the question is then, would it matter if Facebook will never have a reputation for privacy? Yeah, I, there's, of course, the Bosworth comments where he, he specifically said uh, something to the effect of, uh, I want us to differentiate our products on the basis of privacy. That, uh, you know, I, I heard it from Facebook a couple of years ago uh, that they said something to the effect of privacy being an existential issue for them, as in uh, if they get privacy wrong, the product line is dead at Facebook. Like the, the entire effort uh, will not succeed if Facebook gets privacy wrong. So uh, I, I think they're aware of what they need to do. The question is whether they actually follow through on all their, you know, make the right choices about how the technology should operate um, and, and are able to be transparent enough uh, with the user base to make sure everything gets uh, kind of used in a way that they expect it to be used. Um, there's people, uh, Sampler bringing up Space Pirate Arena, uh, and uh, this is something that I'm on top of and staying really close to, and it's kind of the reason, uh, if you go back to earlier in our stream here today, I was testing out the limits of the Guardian in my house and going from one room to the other, was uh, last year, uh, I think it was in February, um, was when we reported it. But we got out of Facebook that uh, their guardian limits people to about 7.6 meters uh, in, a, in either direction. That, that, that's how big your guardian can be. Uh, but Space Pirate Arena appears to need about a 10-meter uh, square space in order to to have this this proper space for your experience. You know, you found the Space Pirate Arena website, right, for setup? Yeah, it definitely did seem to reference a 10 by 10 meter space. And uh, as you said, the limit that we know of from Facebook's original announcement of Quest 1 and that we kind of thought was still there is 25 by 25 feet. That's 7.62 meters. Were you able to test out whether it you could get years to go beyond that? Uh, well, that's the thing. I, I didn't actually measure the space. All I know is the it's pretty far from one room to the other in my house. And if that was a square uh, box, it seems like it would have been ten meters. Um, but I'm I'm just guessing here uh, as to how far the distance was from one room to the other. Uh, we've checked in with Facebook and trying to get uh, sort of details as to where this this feature is uh, i don't have an update in my inbox yet but we'll uh definitely have info about this on our future broadcasts but uh that's why i'm kind of pushing for we, we started off this whole discussion with we're kind of moving beyond room scale tracking here is is what i'm getting at is it still called room scale in the menu system i'm still setting up a room scale system but we aren't too far from being able to say bedroom living room bedroom two uh and and sort of tagging these spaces throughout my home uh as different spaces and maybe having settings based on the context of of which room i i'm in and which furniture i have around me at any given moment uh i'm i'm very ready for 
um, home, like a home map, right? I'm, I'm, I want there to, I want to see if we can get to that space where uh, I feel safe playing a game across multiple rooms or walking from one, one room to the other uh, and feeling safe when I'm doing that in order to sit at my desk or to have the largest play area for a particular game. I, I don't want to have to reset my headset up every time. And I think we're really, really close to that. I, th- I think we are, we're, we're close, but we're also a little further than I, than I would, I would say we're maybe a little further than you think, because we do need to see guardian evolve from a manual two dimensional system into a automatic three dimensional system. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of intermediary steps there because you know, step one, you want three dimensions. As I was mentioning earlier, you don't want even the the shortest thing in front of you, a tiny little book, book table or something to be an entire infinitely high wall because then you can't lean over it. You can't, as soon as you get near that, you're going to be stuck with the boundary in front of you. We've seen with desk, it kind of getting three dimensional. Then the step after is it needs to be automatic. I don't think you can really trust that you, or I don't think it's really practical to go and mark out all of the different rooms in your house and the furniture and the surfaces and the desks. And if you move anything around too much, do it all again. We need to see a completely automatic guardian. And that that's, that's the step I think we're going to need before we see these kind of high scale mixed reality type experiences. The, qu- the question is how far off is that? And, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult to answer. We, we've seen research prototypes of, of this where just as you walk around your room, it will automatically know where all your furniture is. We see today, even on Quest 2 right now, if you launch up into your Quest and there is something in your play space, you'll notice those kind of red dots and lines where it clearly does have some awareness of it because it obviously has the uh, simultaneous location and mapping map of your room where it's kept you know the most interesting features it's remembering so that it can locate itself. But it may be one of those things where, you know, handling all of the geometry of your room at once will just need a more powerful processor, more RAM, uh, maybe a custom chip over time, and maybe a depth sensor to make it really reliable. Because, you know, if you've used smartphone augmented reality, it can already kind of scan your room a little bit. But you notice you have to really move it all over the room and and give it a lot of time. But every year it seems to get a little better. So so it's it's really difficult to say when that would happen. But I don't think it's as close as you think, but I don't think it's as far away as others think either. I know I've said that before, but (laughs) that is it. Well, that's also the Bosworth line that they brought up uh, time and time again was uh, Bosworth likes uh, commenting something like it's it's closer than you think it is uh, or something like that when he's sort of teasing new features coming for uh, Facebook's platform. I want to, you know, everything you were mentioning there sort of, triggered another thought from today's Apple uh, announcement where they announced their SharePlay uh, API and platform. And what I saw in the SharePlay uh, effort from Apple is uh, a lot of what Facebook would want to unlock with its computing platforms is going to be there from the launch of that API. So I think it's an iOS 15 which they're promising to be out later this year. Uh, I think they announced that Disney Plus is integrated, which is a a big one for me with my family. Being able to 
you know, I've seen my kids hack this together with their friends through quarantine of just hitting play on a movie at the same time and sitting on a FaceTime call. Or more often than not, they're using Roblox. They're playing Roblox together while on a Zoom call or a FaceTime call. And and being able to have that co-present experience with just uh, hacking together your audio chat, basically. People have been doing this with Discord for a long time. But we're getting to this place where uh, people really, really want to have shared activities with others over the internet, no matter what device is, is in front of them. And Portal and Quest are supposed to let us watch Netflix together. Like, it should be one of the features. But uh, we're, we're seeing Apple announce today uh, with uh, its considerable advantage uh, sort of lead into the music market the ability to kind of like do a FaceTime call and play a playlist with your friends that's shared between you. That's going to take a lot of effort from Facebook to match and catch up on and provide a similar experience across all these major content providers. Heaney, do you have any thoughts on sort of the SharePlay API and where we're going to be going there in the next year? Yeah, I have to agree with you. The SharePlay uh, API was the most impressive part of Apple's presentation by far. Oh, I've got the image up now. So for for anyone that wasn't watching Apple's demo, the idea is that FaceTime can now allow you to play shared music through Apple Music and to play shared movies and TV through Apple TV Plus and their you know uh, movie services. And as Ian mentioned, they're even going to have an API for that to support other things like Disney+. Plus. We, we Notably not Netflix or Spotify, but it's a good start from what we have already. And the idea is that across devices, whether you're on a phone, whether you're on your MacBook, whether you're on your Apple TV, you all see the same content synced to the same time while you can talk to each other and it filters out the kind of peripheral audio from that. Now, this is... It's interesting and useful for something like a pandemic on these kind of devices. But it, as Ian's kind of alluding to, if, if Apple has this feature in their virtual reality headset that's expected to launch next year, that is a game-changing feature. That is a compelling... It's what Oculus Go wanted to be but could never really deliver on. You know, we, we saw that Oculus Go from the start supported this feature where you could watch in a very few apps that had almost no content that anyone wanted to actually use in one specific region, the United States. But it just didn't have the partnerships to really make that something that you would want to use. Apple here using their ecosystem might and their kind of connections in the music and television industry to deliver that feature in the way that people really wanted to. So yeah, I think if they can put that on a VR headset and you know you can put on an Apple VR and someone across the other side of the world can put it on and you can both sit down and listen to music together and watch a movie together. It can be done in big screen today with, you know, screencasting your PC, but I have tried it a few times. It's it's, you know, or you can purchase movies in big screen. I've tried casting it from the PC before. It's a very rough and manual and frictionful experience. Having this kind of integration across things like Disney Plus and Apple Music, I would say it would it would be a killer feature, a, a real killer app for their headset if they can do it. Yep. 
So, and I want to throw out the name Hayden Lee. I noticed Hayden Lee, uh, one of the co-founders of Converge, a very, very early uh, social sharing app, uh, developed, uh, co-developed, I think, uh, with uh, someone who's at Rec Room, I think now. Um, but uh, you had a very early piece of software there that allowed you to be present with other people. And I remember for a while there, it was giving these other platforms a run for their money as far as being feature-filled uh, shared VR experiences. And then they, they shut down uh, one day. And it's very, very interesting to see Hayden Lee out on Twitter saying that they were building SharePlay at Apple now. Uh, you've, I've seen a couple people uh, over the years, they sort of have disappeared inside this tech behemoth Apple, and we don't know what they're working on specifically, but I think that's we're going to start seeing them pop up one after another, these people who have been toiling away at building the frameworks for these things at Apple. I, I think we're going to start seeing that happen more and more. And uh, the SharePlay API is going to be such a massive massive part of that uh Heaney is straight on point here with pointing out which platforms weren't announced as part of this uh initial rollout you know when you've got a company that's of netflix's magnitude they get to choose what apis they're going to support and for them supporting certain apis may put them at a, a disadvantage when it comes to supporting uh a similar feature on other devices. So uh, it's really licensing. It's with, yeah. with these things, it's, it's the challenge, the, the challenge that's really ruins digital consumption of television and movies has been licensing. We've seen Spotify and Apple music solve it in the music industry, but we're st in the movie industry. It's still in this kind of archaic model of you can pay for a subscription service and get some of the newest content and some of the studio's movies. But realistically, there is nothing like Apple Music and Spotify for movies. The movie studios still hold an incredible amount of power and they still use these archaic decades old licensing models. And, you know, you, you can't even watch some shows in many countries. It's you can, if you are someone who has friends all over the world, you can't even say, watch this on Netflix, because the question is, well, what, Netflix UK, Netflix US, Netflix Japan? They all have completely different content. So I don't. I, it's actually really surprising to me that Apple was even able to make this happen at all on uh, their own platform. Disney makes sense because, you know, they're one kind of company that is taking a very fast pivot into the digital age with Disney Plus, and they have full control of their content. But when you start to get to all these other studios, you know, Paramount and 20th Century Fox, or I don't even, maybe Disney bought those actually. Uh, mm -hmm. Whatever the other <laughs> studios that Disney still doesn't own are. Are there any studios that Disney doesn't I mean, own? Are there? Yeah, well, that's, well, <laughs> that's no, that's the irony of the of the thing is with the one partnership that, that Apple announced here, Disney being on board with this, they do have a very, very significant sort of start to kind of pressure the other companies to get on board. But again, I, I wonder, like, to your point about licensing agreements, like, this is potentially billions of dollars on the table that a company like Apple or Facebook would need to come to Netflix with and say, we would like the sh your SharePlay APIs to be exclusive to us for two years. Um, 
like the, we're talking on, on on the order of billions of dollars need to be exchanged for that kind of agreement to land i think and so i would be really curious to see if if sort of facebook is able to get there with uh some of these big partners and and maybe that's why we aren't seeing everyone announced today or is, is everyone just going to get on board with this over the next year even if netflix wanted to and maybe they really do want to they couldn't and that, you know that's the problem because it's it's like a giant kind of tree chain of licensing where you have netflix at the top and then you go down to the big studios and there's all these little dozens of studios and they and like i said they're all using the same archaic licensing model that the music industry was using before spotify and apple music and the likes me i i really hope that sometime in the future we see that change and we see these kind of licensing agreements be modernized and consolidated so that you know movie streaming services are possible why can't i pay 30 or 40 you know currency a month and get every movie ever made if i can pay 10 quid and get every song ever made you know that would be my argument for this kind of thing people are just going to use piracy anyway some people the comments um, mentioning plex i i love plex but i i don't think it's uh exactly licensing compliant in the way that most people would use it but it is fantastic fantastic software but i don't think they can you know a company like facebook or apple can't really build a uh, a product that they can sell to these studios if they're if they're using that kind of model mm. it's it's just a shame to see it's one of those things there are a few things like this in life where the technology isn't the issue at all and it's just these old business practices and unfortunately movies and tv shows are the prime example Mm, you talk about licensing agreements. It's such a fascinating area. And uh, the thing I think about in particular is old uh, emulated games from dead console sort of periods of the 80s and 90s, where uh, these things live as ROMs uh, passed around the internet. There aren't uh, entities anymore uh, really hankering to make money off of some of these really old games we do see re-releases all the time and remasters that kind of throw that up in the air but uh i think of old game emulation and wishing that uh you could be player two uh for an old game even though we're far away from each other and we could have say uh you know, you go back to old Mario games and I'm player one, you're player two, and we're taking turns. Or go forward a couple of years and you get Goldeneye and wanting to have uh, a Goldeneye match with four people who are in very different places. We're seeing Steam develop some of this remote play together features directly into the Steam platform. And you can throw Steam screens from one screen to another pretty effectively. Uh, you can do the same thing uh, with some other platforms, being, being able to sort of share displays. But I really want to be able to have the freedom to kind of like, I don't know, have a pocket full of ROMs and be able to play them with you and, and play some game wherever I am in VR. And uh, it, it was another part of this conversation with Zuckerberg and Bosworth that I thought was interesting, where Zuckerberg said the the app model is going to be different in virtual reality. And we've seen attempts from Facebook to kind of, I, I, very, five years ago, they had some kind of a licensing model in place to share movies with other people that you could invite into your virtual studio or into your home theater. 
but that never got off the ground and people never actually did it. And I still don't, uh, all this is to say is I still don't know how I'm going to walk around with like a virtual tablet and share content with you uh, that may or may not have been licensed correctly, but it, it's still, uh, there's still not a company I've stolen from out there that may have gone out of business 25 years ago. There's a lot of content that lives in that sort of legal gray area that I would want to carry around with me in virtual space and share with the people around me. And I, I still wonder if we're ever going to get that kind of situation. Uh, if I have a, if I have a folder full of MP3s, why can't I share them with you? MP3s. What, what year is it? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately these, these big tech companies and the kind of market forces that dictate their actions have created a future in which that kind of sharing is, seems unlikely. And I, I really think about this a lot. Is that idea you know, we talk about the idea of VR headsets and AR glasses replacing televisions. So, you know, you have this virtual shared content on a wall that is not a real TV, but could be the entire size of a wall. But anyone that walks into that room sees that same virtual object through their glasses. And, and as you say, will that be possible? Like, I don't know. I think it's possible that we get to the point where the technology is entirely fully capable of it but the licensing model just doesn't allow it. And that, that would be such a shame, I think. Maybe, hopefully, at that stage, that would force a change in licensing and an approach to a lot of these things. But, you know, it's it's depressing. The, you know, even trying to use some of the products that used to exist, there used to be things where you could plug something into HDMI in your TV and share across the internet to someone, like a very primitive version of this. But now with the modern HDMI uh, anti-piracy methods that are built into the freaking connectors at this point you know I, I don't i don't think literally but they're built into every single part of hdmi you can't do anything like that it, it is a mm-hmm. shame. i guess i just i bring it up because i think about big screen and darshan uh over there uh building big screen and hitting up a, a brick wall uh so to speak when it comes to having to give uh another company a cut of your revenue from these shared experiences it just it always feels to me like video games uh old video games in particular are kind of like this uh this this content that could be could potentially bridge uh over distance in a way that nobody's going to complain about like a lot of these old game companies are started by people who believe in open source and so if if you've got an open source version of doom why can't we uh pull it up on our browsers and, and play or not doom, but quake quake, have a multiplayer quake battle. Um, it's something that I would love to see, uh, sort of prove it out. So I don't know. I hope I'm we just see thinking, that eventually. you know, Nintendo obviously still owns all their IP from that time. And a lot of people are disappointed that they don't bring it to switch. Sony, you know, owns the PlayStation one IP, but I wonder who owns all of the Sega IP from that era? I wonder if someone like Facebook or Apple could purchase the ability to kind of give you what exactly what you want for a Sega Genesis. Because, you know, that's mm. not a product today that they're needing to keep an exclusive hold on the IP for in any sensible way. We've seen Sega bring some of its IPs to mobile and some other modern platforms. So I, I have to say the only prospect I could think of that that seems like it would work would be that mm. i still guys you're absolutely right that that would be uh, a great 
that that would be a very likely target for them to sort of launch with a licensing partner. I guess I just still wonder if VR is going to be open enough to enable open methods of us having shared, you know, shared things without having to have an intermediary in between. There's, you know, a very simple process in the real world of like having a piece of paper and I've written a, pe- a note on the piece of paper and I'm, I'm literally handing you a piece of paper. You open the piece of paper and see the note that I've written. How do we have that kind of interaction replicated in virtual reality without an intermediary, uh, you know, some faceless server that your information has to get routed through uh, in order for that message to get from one person to another? I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately is just are we going to have those um, protocols where we can really exchange whatever we want between two people uh, without having uh, it have to be vetted by by it, the Internet? I, I don't know if we're going to get there. I think that is the key word protocol. You know, what, what, what we need more of, you know, when it comes to all of these topics, including metaverses and virtual reality OSs and, you know, as you say, shared content in VR and AR is we need these things to be like the web was and like early com- like computers were as they started to popularize. We need open protocols and standards that any device can use to talk to each other. And it is really a shame in technology in general to see over time the protocols are being replaced by, you know, spe- platform-specific APIs. But I guess there is still hope in that there are a lot of people with that, as you say, open source mentality coming from this era of when computers were still mostly open and weren't these kind of closed mobile style devices. So uh, it's, it's really difficult to say what will happen, but we can just say we hope that it goes more in the way of protocols. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Heaney? Uh, I, I don't see anything else in the notes here. Some, some very interesting perspectives in the comments here. Um, just reading through some of them now. But I think we've covered everything this week so far. Yeah, I like uh, I like Bit's comment here about I don't miss gigging. My memories of it are dragging five thousand dollars worth of equipment to a pub to play in front of ten people for fifty quid. I love that <laughs> description of what it meant to make like a social experience happen for people in the real world, like for only a few people and a little bit of money, and it required hefting around that much equipment. I, I like to imagine that kind of thing being recreated in VR at some point with no equipment having to be lugged around. And yeah, I'd be curious to see. We've, we've seen such of these, I, I did a, some of these uh, productions in VR uh, acting productions uh, where they've adapted a play or a performance for virtual reality. And there's some fascinating work being done there where they're ticketing events that are done completely virtually. I, I can't, it's one of the most exciting things that are being done in VR, in my opinion. You should try some of the ones in VR chat. I've seen I've seen a lot of them advertised. I, I went to a few a few years ago. There there are some there are some incredible things happening in VR chat in general that a lot of people don't know about, including full scale concerts like that. Yeah, I w- hopefully I will be able to write about one of them in the next week or so, and uh, we'll talk about that on an upcoming episode of the VR download here. Thank you so much, Heaney, for uh, reminding me about this operating system story that Facebook is pursuing. You know, they're working on this reality operating system. It's a huge deal to kind of, we've known that they're working on it, but for them to sort of talk so openly about this larger effort there is kind of a big deal. And 
Uh, it was one of the biggest things to happen in the last week. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone out there. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, become a member and support our work. And uh, come back as we're going to have a lot of content throughout the week and into next weekend. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching. My headset is at 10% battery, so I'll get out of here pretty quickly. Thank you.